Good morning. Way to get after it in worship today. I mean, why wouldn't we be happy about an incredible thing about the resurrection of Jesus? You know, and if you're out there on live feed watching us, you were probably wondering, because I was checking out the live feed, all the cameras were vibrating, and so all the images, and you're wondering, what the heck is going on there? We're just getting really excited about what we're remembering that Jesus did for us through the resurrection. And we want to welcome all of you here today. And you know, a lot of times on, a, on Easter or any kind of holiday like this, you get coerced into going to church, you know, because mom, mom said, you know, she's got the pot roast with a knife to it. Listen, if you don't come to church, I'll cut it. I'll cut it. I'll take this pot roast down if you don't come to church with me today. So we want to welcome you here no matter how you got here and why you're here, because I, I'd be willing to say that when we look at this whole story of Jesus and, and we begin to evaluate it, most of us don't understand fully what's going on in the story. I mean, we look at it, we kind of walk up on this story of Jesus, this cross, this resurrection idea, and we're really not sure how to put it together. We've, we've heard some ideas and some elements about it, and, and so we got to start to begin to ask questions. You know, just like in a, a crime scene, like who was the victim? What was done? Why was it done? Where did it happen? And, you know, uh, Colonel Mustard in the library with the candelabra. What was going on in this story? And so we have a lot of different ideas about the people that are in the story, these people of interest. And so we started looking at and asking those questions. Who is this? Uh, are the people of interest, and, and why was this done, and, and who was it done for, and, and why was it done this way? What were the effects of what was done? And so we're focusing on Jesus. He is our, kind of our key person of interest, and we're going to find out over the next few minutes together that because Jesus is a person of interest, we become people of interest. You know, we, we kind of inherit this interest of God because of what Jesus does, so we looked at Jesus to make sure that we've got the right person. Because a lot of us have different ideas of who Jesus is. I mean, we, we all have ideas. Is, is, he, is he a good teacher? Is he was just a great man? Or he's a mythical character? And so we started investigating who is this Jesus? Do we got the right Jesus? The apostles and the writers of Scripture and the stories that we hold on to were very adamant about making sure that we had the right Jesus. The apostle Paul went to them, and he would preach to them in the synagogues and reason from the scriptures, and explaining, giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. This Jesus, the one that he's talking about, the one that we're learning about, the one that we're going to hear about today, this Jesus. Because what we know is that probably one in 20, one in 30 people back then could have been named Jesus. And not only that, there were all kinds of people that were claiming to be the Messiah. And so the apostle is like, listen, you know, um, you may have ideas about who Jesus is, but this is Jesus. This Jesus, the one that we proclaim to you, because there are other Jesuses out there. Matter of fact, um, no, no sooner than I finished the, the message on Sunday that somebody texted me their receipt from a Mexican restaurant that they went to, and uh, they, they, they texted me, this Jesus? And they put a bunch of uh, question marks behind it because a lot of us have ideas about who Jesus is. Uh, we have a lot of concepts about it. And the apostles were very adamant about, hey, listen, I know you have a lot of ideas who you want him to be, who you think he should be, 
but this is Jesus. So we went into the Apostle Paul to discover this Jesus. And here were some of the things that he told us. And, and, and this is important because Je- Jesus is only as good for you as Jesus is for himself. You know, he's the, the level of power, the level of interest, the, the level of quality of who he is determines the level of quality of interest he can give you. So when we talk about who Jesus is, we're not just throwing out creedal references and talking Nicene Creed stuff. We're not just throwing out theology. What we're throwing out, what is being communicated to us is that Jesus is a person of interest and that raises your level of interest. It raises your level of potential in life. So this is what we learned last week. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the radiance of our heavenly Father's glory, the exact representation of God's nature, the firstborn of all creation, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, benefactor and beneficiary of all things, whether seen or unseen realms, all life and all creation. And he reconciled all things to God by making peace through the blood of his cross. This Jesus, this is the only Jesus that has the effect to change your life to give you meaning, to give you purpose, to give you hope, to give you resurrection, to give you glory, to give you anything. It's this Jesus. Any other Jesus may bring your food at a Mexican restaurant, but doesn't have the power to raise your life. Any concept that you have of Jesus or God in your life that doesn't measure up to this Jesus is not the Jesus that was preached and was delivered to us. So, It is so important that we get Jesus right because the nature of Jesus determines the nature of Jesus' interest in you. The quality of Jesus determines the the power of his interest in you. If Jesus is a doofus, then his power is is just the power of a doofus. Uh, I know you're like, well, I can't believe he just called Jesus. I didn't call Jesus a doofus. But if your version of Jesus is just a good teacher, then all you can be is a good learner. If if he's just a governmental ruler, then all you can be is a subject of a government. But if he is the image of the invisible God, if he holds all things in his hands, if he's the creator of all things, and if he purchased all of us, through his blood on the cross, he is something significantly different, and therefore the power of his interest can have a totally different effect on your life. So that's why it was so important for us to get this person of interest right, because then we become persons of interest. You don't have to become pretty enough. You don't have to become holy enough. You don't have to become religious enough. You don't have to give up smoking. You know, you don't have to perfect your life in order to become someone of interest with God. We derive our value from from the opulent display of God's interest on the cross. I mean, have you ever wondered why the story is so brutal, why it's so bloody, why it's so visceral, why it's so extreme? It's because he's going to this place of of extreme so that you and I would realize that we are of interest. Jesus is not only an exact expression of who God is, 
but he's an exact expression of God's interest in us. So you may have all kinds of things running around in your head right now, what God thinks about you, what God's going to do to you, uh, uh, how God feels about you. And we all kind of create our own little mythologies in our head about God and what God does and how you have to be good enough and all this. But what God wanted us to realize is that Jesus not only represented him, he also represented Jesus's interest in us through the cross. That's why the cross was so extravagant. I, I don't know, but if you, you ever shown interest in things, you know, and, and, and when you get interested in something, it all of a sudden kind of takes on a material form or some sort of uh, performance that you will do to, to show some sort of interest in it. Like if you're interested in a house, what do you what do? You, do? You, you download uh, Zillow and you find out how much the house is worth. You go to realtor.com. You may call a realtor. You may walk through the house, do a showing. Me and Susan, we, we just like, you know, we like houses and stuff. I mean, we're just like regular people and we we, when houses are being built, it's like, oh, that's a really cool house. And in our neighborhood, they're throwing up houses left and right. And so we would walk through the construction site. And so we'll kind of, you know, when all the construction workers are gone, and we'll kind of, when we're out for our walk, we'll walk through and look. And, and I'll be looking at how the plumbing's being put in. And, and I'll be, you know, act like I know everything. And I'll be like, that's not in code, you know. And I'm looking at the junction box and stuff like that. And be like, this is really, this really nice house. And we look like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I like the backyard. We look across. You think they'll develop that property over there? We begin to express interest in it. Then you may have gone a little bit further, and your interest becomes earnest, you know? And, and you put down what's interest in earnest means that you're really interested. So you develop earnest, and you put down earnest money on the property. That means your, your interest is now taking on a monetary value. You're expressing it that way. Maybe you do this with cars. That's where, where my hang-up is. I, I just like cars. I, you know, it's just, they're cool cars. I like looking up cars. I look, like looking up the performance of cars. When I'm shopping for cars, I'm looking at all the reports. You should see my, my history on my Safari website browser. I'm always, you can always find out what I'm interested in by looking at my history and my, my browsers and, and all the things that I go to because we begin to engage interest. We begin to express interest. And that's what's going on in the cross. Have you ever been interested in someone? Most of us have been interested in someone and, and maybe have married that someone. But you remember what it's like. And, and, uh, and I talked to a lot of young guys that will ask me, hey, I'd like to marry somebody and I'd like to have the kind of marriage that you have. And I'd like to marry somebody like Susan. And I'll remind them, hey, 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 you know, you better back off there, little pal. You know, it's like, a, but yeah, but your wife is so amazing. It's like, okay, well, what do I got to do to kind of, you know, I, I said, well, you're going to have to show your show interest in the woman that you're interested in. And you got to up your game. You got to up your game. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that you got to dress up, fragrance up, clean up, talk it up, pay it up, show up. And definitely you got to smarten up. You know, I mean, you definitely, it's like, dude, you know, when you were hanging around in that bachelor pad with the guys, that's cool and all. But, you know, you gotta, you're going to have to start dressing up a little bit. You're going to have to get your hair cut, maybe uh, throw a little bit of fragrance on there. And let me just tell you guys, um, Axe is not working, okay? <laughs> <laughs> when you were in junior high, uh, that, that might have worked. 
And uh, also, when you're putting fragrance on, don't put it on your clothes. Put it on your skin. Because what I used to do is I used to just like... Maybe it was because I wasn't doing laundry. And so I wanted to be able to wear the same clothes again. So I'd fragrance it all up. But fragrance up. Clean up. Talk it up. You know, you got to begin talking about what she's interested in. You got you to gotta talk her up. You got to begin to talk up your life a little bit, right? I mean, you got you to gotta sound like you got something going on. I remember when me and Susan were dating 35 years ago, we'd walk on the beach down at uh, Isle of Palms Station 21, uh, magical location. And I remember at night we'd walk around and, and um, she'd uh, say, this beautiful stars. And I'd be like, oh, yes, that's a... That's uh, Orion's belt up there. And uh, she, really, it's Orion. I said, yeah, that one right there. And, and she'd be like, well, what's this one? I'm like, oh, that's Mustafa. Uh, that's, uh, that's Mustafa right there. And uh, I would just make up stuff because I wanted to talk it up. I, want, I wanted to talk up what was going on and I w- then pay up. You don't get cheap on a date. You say, yeah, but it's, but, you know, it's women's lib and all this other stuff. If that's what they got going on in their head, that's cool. But don't you succumb to it. You need to pay up. You need to be, you know, extravagant with what you're doing. You need to show up on time. Show up for what she's interested. And you got to smarten up. I mean, these are all like raising up the game. You know, uh, as a dad of all daughters, um, I had a lot of suitors come by the house. Okay, uh, and I usually say, with, my, with these suitors, there was two rules. That if you did my daughter wrong, you got your choice. I was either going to, uh, uh, was it bag you or mulch you? But your body was going to disappear somewhere. I was either going to bag it or I was going to mulch it. And so I would have to kind of investigate whether or not these guys were showing real interest. And and my daughters would ping me and ask me, hey, what do you think about him? Do you think he's really interested? What do you think? Because there were ways that a guy could show interest. And then Brian comes along, and he wants to date my baby, Deanna. And, uh, and it was like, you know, um, he's a really good guy. He's, uh, um, he skateboards. He, he was uh, working at the little gym. Um, he was driving a 1995 Acura Integra that was lowered with green wheels and had a giant muffler on it, you know, and everything would rattle. And, and I knew he wanted, I mean, he, he wanted to marry my daughter. And I remember having the conversation with him. It's like, man, I, I, I love you, but you know what? Uh, too often I'm finding out that you were racing down 61 and your car went off the road and they had to pull that out of a ditch, or you had to leave it in the ditch until the cops went by because you didn't have plates on it, and you didn't have insurance, and so you had to get a buddy to pull it out. I said, that's good and all, but I'm going to need you to kind of, like, pay up a little bit, and maybe smarten up a little bit. And so, uh, but that's the thing. I said, you know, in a year, if you, if you own the little gym, that's great. But if you're working at the little gym and your job is teaching kids how to do uh, tumblies, uh, I'm going to need you to kind of, I'm, I'm going to need you to do more than that for me. And I'll tell you, for like, I don't know if it was six months or for a year, he got after it. I mean, he got his car registered. He got insurance on that thing. He got himself a really good job. And why? Because he really was expressing interest. Um, and that's where we are with Jesus. When we look at the cross, 
See, when we want to show interest, we, we got to up our game. But when, when God shows interest in us, he brings his game down. He brings his love down to us. He expresses it on, in our lives in the way that we need to see it expressed. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the miracles were all about. That's what casting out demons were all about. They were all means of Jesus being extravagant by making sure that we understood that God was interested in us. He showed interest in a prostitute that he casted, uh, I don't know, five or six, seven demons out of, a Roman centurion, uh, an old woman with an issue of blood, a, a tax collector who was working for the enemy, uh, a disciple who would later betray him. He showed interest in every single one of these people, people who were ridden with compromise, people who were hurting others, people who were living in the shadow of misery, people who were rejected by others, people who would betray everything that was good. That's what's going on in this story. If you don't understand any other part of the theology of this this mystery, this person's of interest, is that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are declaring, I am interested in you, extravagantly. Jesus gave us a mind picture of this interest that's probably one of the most favorite scriptures. I think of people that hear enough of the Bible to get interested in it. This is kind of the one that they grab the most. It's the one that you see on Facebook and Instagram the most that you read and you're kind of like, yeah, this Jesus. He said in Matthew 18, 12, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? He's like, that's, that's amazing. We show interest in only the best employees, the best cars, the best outfits, the best jobs, the best houses. And Jesus says, listen, and that's not the way heaven works. Heaven says, hey, here's everybody else on their mountaintop experience, the top of their game, top performers in their class. He's like, they're cool, I get it. But I'm showing interest on, on the one that's going to betray me. I'm showing interest in the person who's failed up a bunch of times, whose life is possessed by hell itself, people that will betray me. He's like, I'm showing them interest. Um, I know that for some of us, we run into a wall on this concept because I, I know that it sounds good, the, the, the one in the 99. But if you're like me, and I think like so many people here today, you would, you would ask yourself, hmm, one went missing and Jesus went after him. Would anybody even notice if I went missing? I mean, would, would anybody really care? Does my, mar- my wife really care if this marriage works out? Um, my kids would be better off without me. Do I matter? Does anybody even see me? Have you ever had that moment where you felt like you were invisible? Just like nobody gets you, nobody understands you, you just don't get seen. At least you don't feel like you're being seen. And here's the thing, I'm not going to sugarcoat this because the bad news is this. For most people, you are invisible. 
Um, you are. You're just somebody they pass by on the street. You're somebody that may not get noticed. And therefore, as a result of it, we do whatever it takes in order to become noticed. We try to become the best in our field. We try to dress differently, lose weight. Um, we spend money on houses and cars and, and degrees, and, and we perform hard and work hard. And, and I remember, I remember, you know, I was like 50 years old, and um, I was still running when I was 50, and I, and I remembered that uh, I wanted to break the six-minute mile again. I was a runner all my life. And uh, in high school, I was a really good runner. And, and, but I was, I was like, you know what? You know what it would be like to be if like you were, you were 50 years old and you're still running a sub-six-minute mile? And so I remember with this young guy, I started training and training and training. And we would go over to the high school and we'd go on the track and we'd do interval training. And here I am, 50 years old, and my wife's picking up the kids from school. My wife is going grocery shopping. My wife's, you're getting the picture, aren't you? Self-absorbed, self-interest, because I'm working hard to make myself interesting. And I remember we did it, and we finally, and I broke six minutes at 50 years of age. And I went home, and I told Susan and the girls, the girls were, and, and they were like, I said, yeah, I broke six, broke six minutes, you know, 50, that's pretty amazing. And they're like, is that good, Dad? Is six minutes good? I, is that as fast as the car? I'm like, jerk. You know, he's like, all of a sudden I realized it really wasn't interesting at all. It was all striving in my head. Nobody cares if I broke six minutes in the mile. It's, it's really not that interesting. And so many of us are striving so hard to be interesting. We're spending our lives working to try to get the interest of other people. But so many of us feel like we're invisible. But we're not to Jesus. There's this beautiful interaction with Jesus uh, with a man that felt totally invisible. It's an interesting story, and it's got interesting pieces to it, and um, it's a beautiful story about somebody that was felt invisible. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a multitude of those who were, and here's their description, sick, blind, lame, and withered. You know, I, I understand being sick. I understand being blind and lame. But can you imagine to the point where life descends, where the only way that you are described, the only way you are seen is as withered? I mean, just... Think about it. I've been there a couple times. I'm just going to speak out for the people who are over 60 here. Okay? We've lost a little bit of our sex appeal, haven't we? Is a little bit, yes, Scott, even you. Uh, we've lost, our, he, he was like shocked. And I was like, let me set the record straight, brother. <laughs> Sick, lame, blind, and withered, okay? <laughs> but seriously, we live in a culture that if you're over 60 or 70 years of age, you are almost invisible. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, from an advertisement standpoint, if you're over the age of 30, you're almost invisible. Most of marketing, most of strategy is targeting 25-year-olds. 
So if you're 25 year old now and you think life sucks now, <laughs> oh, 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 just wait, okay? I bet, but these people are described this way. What's that the language of? The invisible, the invisible. People described only by what they don't have. But the story gets kind of even worse. So they were the withered, the lame, the blind, and it continues, waiting for the water, moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water, whoever then first, after stirring of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Okay? Interesting little piece here. Because this piece, because we understand the scriptures and where they came from and how, how reliable they are, we've discovered that this part was not in the original gospel. That's why it's in brackets. It's in brackets in your Bible as well. And if you look, there's a little notation that it's not in the older manuscripts. Um, so why is it in there? I think it's reflecting a mythology the people of the time were buying into. It's not really what God was doing. I mean, the idea that God would be up there and there would be an angel and that at a certain season, the angel would touch the waters and then every, all these lame and, and withered people and blind people are crawling towards the water and only one gets in and gets healed. That's wicked. We know this is, but this is what they were believing. But this isn't what God was really doing. But it always shows you, though, that life only goes to those who can climb up and get to a, the pool of being interesting enough. You gotta be pretty enough, fast enough, smart enough, wealthy enough, influential enough. Otherwise, you just make up the masses of people who are sick and lame and withered. You gotta, you gotta get to that place of, of you know, of, of being interesting. But this isn't, this isn't truth. But this was an idea that was floating around. And a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, Jesus saw him, he wasn't invisible to Jesus and knew that he had been, already been there a long time in that condition. He knew him. He said to him, do you wish to get well? Implying, I see you. You're not invisible. And the sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. I am invisible. When the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. This guy is literally being stepped over. And if you're in a place of life where you feel like you've been stepped over, where nobody sees you, where you're not interesting, where you're not smart enough, you're not fast enough, you're not good enough looking. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's maybe a small percentage on raw talent or raw looks or on wealth, maybe become interesting for like five minutes. 
But most of us are buying into the idea that we got to crawl to the pool of interesting in order for us to matter. But the cross is here to tell us that we can stop that. You don't have to become interesting on your own. You already have the interest of God in your life. At this point, Jesus talks to the man. It's interesting that Jesus does not give him five steps or strategies to get noticed. Well, here's what you need to do. In order to get in the pool, you need to be, uh, you need to go to the gym a little bit. You need to get your hair cut. Uh, You know, uh, he doesn't give him five strategies. He doesn't give him a place closer to the water. He doesn't say God helps those who help themselves. But rather, Jesus speaks to the man, and he says to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well, and he picked up his pallet and began to walk. By implication, Jesus says to the man, I see you. You may be invisible to everyone else, but you're not invisible to me. That's what's going on with the cross. No matter where you're from, no matter if you've left the sheep and you've left the herd behind and you you are traveling in the valley, Jesus wants you to know that I see you, that I am interested in you, and that I can help you. The life of Jesus says, I see you. The cross of Jesus says, I am supremely interested in you. Supremely. That's why it's so bloody. That's why it's so visceral. That's why it's open for display in front of enemies and and followers. That's why it's the way that it is. Because he wants to remove all doubt. I am interested in you. Flowers wouldn't have done it. A good haircut wouldn't have done it. A new set of clothes would not have done it. But the cross is God telling you that I am not only the image of the invisible God, I am the perfect expression of God's level of interest in every single one of you. That's what's going on in the story. So can you tell when somebody is really interested in you? I mean, deeply and meaningfully interested in you. Can you tell? Because if you're not paying attention to the cross, I'm guessing you don't. Either that or you want somebody else's attention. The cross is God telling us that we are persons of interest. And he has expressed it supremely and with all opulence. 2 Corinthians says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's interest. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us that while we were sheep who had gone astray, while we were breathing, while we were breathing murderous threats, while we were caught up in our compromise, possessed with hell, betraying thoughts in our heads, enemies of people around us, hurtful that Christ died for us. So let me ask you, 
Has anybody else that you've encountered shown you more interest? Joe Biden doesn't even know you're alive. And I hate to disappoint you, Donald Trump doesn't know you're alive either. And they've got their own interests that they're showing in themselves and a group. And all the while, there's this cross that God so loved the world, all of us, so interested in every single one of us. It's not enough to just have somebody interested in you, is it? But to have somebody supremely interested in you, that's something else. And then somebody that has the power to bring the fulfillment of that interest. That's what the resurrection is, is proof that God's interest can be fulfilled in you. Or the way the Apostle Paul said it, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete that work that neither height nor depth nor evil or principalities or darkness or anything shall separate you from the love of God. I'm telling you, God is interested. If you're getting a better, somebody's more interesting is offering you a better outcome, go with that. But if the invisible God, the creator of all things, spreads his hands and his arms open and allows him to be impaled upon a cross and pours out his blood to show you he's interested. Let me ask you, are you interested? If on the third day he rises from the grave to prove to you that his interest will never end and neither will you, even through death, are you interested? That is what's going on here today. So as we offer you communion, it's just a little cup and a, and a little bit of grape juice. And you may say, well, this is interesting. What's this? It's supreme interest. It is the interest of God expressed to you that he allowed his body to be broken, his blood to be poured out so that you could have new life. And he rose the third day so that you could say, I can trust him. He's not just a good teacher. This is not just good learning. This is not just good morals. This is Jesus, my living hope. Father God, today, we come to this Jesus, this Jesus, your Jesus, our Jesus. And today, we may not know a lot. We may not know any more than what the thief on the cross knew in the moment and the hour of his death. But when he cried out to Jesus, said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. And three days later, Jesus proved it to all mankind. So Father God, today we come once again, not remembering a story alone, not teaching an idea 
that stirs, stirs our imagination. We're coming to the way, the truth, and the life. The invitation of God to experience fullness of life. Jesus, you are our living hope.